Hi, and welcome back to Track Changes. This is the second episode of our podcast. Not brand new, but still pretty young. Track Changes is brought to you by Postlight, which is a web app and product development shop in New York City. I'm Paul Ford, co-founder of Postlight, and right across the table from me is... Rich Ciotti, co-founder number two of Postlight. Rich, it's great to have us here. It's great to have us here. Welcome back, everybody. Um, let's talk about today. What are we going to talk about, Rich? We're going to talk about Apple and the FBI. We're going to talk about Apple and the FBI. It's exciting. We're going to talk about a thing that we read on the internet. That's going to be really something. Also exciting. Oh, man. And we're going to answer a question by a listener who wants to know how much she needs to learn about the web in order to be really good at the web. Perfect. All right, let's get going. You ready? Let's go. Apple and the FBI. Can you summarize what's going on at all? Can anyone? It's getting more complicated, right, each day. What are the basics? So the basics is Tim Cook writes a letter. That's when I started to pay attention. Open letter. Open letter. Good. Another internet open letter. Those are very important. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first open letter you saw? They're always, always, it's never a good sign. No, it's, it's usually, it, it takes the, the tone of a suicide note often. It's, it also shows how much Apple has changed because the last open letter with this level of gravity was Steve Jobs talking about how he was going to pull back from Flash. That's, I think that might be the last one. And There's another you, one against using open formats for music. He also wrote that too. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That, that was – you know, he was for open formats. Is when he went over to like you'll be yeah. able – yeah, no more DRM. No more DRM. So Apple has gone from no more DRM and we're pulling back from Flash to mm -hmm. we refuse to create custom software to allow people to access iPhones for the FBI so that they can find out what's on a mass murdering couple's – terrorist cell phone. Correct. So Apple is gradually stepping into the role of protecting our civil liberties. Eventually, things like voting, free speech, Apple's got our back down the road. It's great to see corporations uh, becoming <laughs> the um, major way of protecting all of our rights. That's a really healthy sign for our republic, I think. Good news. Oh, it's great. Everyone. Well, yeah. I think because Apple doesn't really have any motives aside from taking care of our civil liberties. No, no. no. As a pub giant publicly traded company that sells consumer products and has enormous uh, investments in places yeah. like China. I mean, look, we don't have to – I mean, I, you don't have to default to a cynical view of a corporation. Um, they're, we're a corporation. We're a may, corporation. Yeah. The position they're taking is fine. We're nice. We're nice. They're nice. Yeah. Mostly. Everybody gets along. Um, yeah. You know, I think I was thinking about this. I think part of why this is so sensitive is I think be, I think phones, smartphones, are just tools that that help us really define and shape and express our identity. They're super intimate. They're super in, and not just it's also, Everybody's already got their fingers in. I'm like AT&T and yeah. Verizon are all, all already yeah. over it. And it's just like, right? Like really you need more? Well, it's, it's just, it's the way I show you, you know, the, the cinnamon buns I cooked last night. It's, it's a also very when, personal when celebrities thing. get hacked and, and, you know, we see like suddenly there's celebrity nipples everywhere. That's right. It's because they got into their phones. They, it's not really. It's their phone accounts. Right. Like It's not direct access. This is a little different. This is like – it's almost like give me a special key that will open up my – open yeah. up an iPhone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I think the real crux of the, the issues have actually all been kind of confused and the debate is actually misguided because it turns out that 
we seed privacy all the time. Not all the time, but based on certain criteria, we give up some privacy. And that's why when I, I, you hear about how you know, absolute they're trying to frame this, it's kind of silly. That's, Wait, what do you think they should do? Well, I mean, it's worth framing what's going on here, right? Uh, the FBI historically has had the right to go into things to further an investigation. And usually the way it does it is by asking for the keys or the right to use a battering ram to go into someone's house to search it. Or the safety deposit box. Or the safety deposit box or the bank account. And they do that by presenting enough evidence that, hey, look, there's some baseline evidence here. Let us further our investigation. So when a crime happens and they put the yellow tape, you kind of expect, I mean, it's almost matter of fact that the police are going to come and search the place, right, and see if there's, you know, other information or evidence that's needed. So it's it's kind of really in in the physical world, it's pretty normal. So if you now, if you sort and of... We've accepted that as a culture. Like, there's a lot of abuses of it. There have been a lot, there are a lot of issues related. But it seems like just about everyone in America is like every now and then, and like even as a baseline, the cops can go or the FBI can go into a place and look through the stuff. Yes. Now, it's it's worth noting that there are mechanisms to so that there is an abuse. Like the F, an agency often has to go to a judge, make the case of why they need a search warrant. And the judge sometimes may say, you know what? This isn't enough. I'm not going to let you break into that person's house. And sometimes they say, okay, this is compelling or it passes some threshold. Go ahead. Go and invade that person's privacy. I wish we could hear a little more sometimes about the judges saying no, because what you hear a lot about is the, is when it breaks down, and it Correct. breaks down a lot. Correct. So what's happened here is, you know, there's the the San, Ber- San Bernardino shooters. Some phones were left behind. The FBI is doing its invest. They've been through the house. They've been through their cars. They've been through everything in their lives. Now they have their phones, and they want to go through their phones. And the battering ram doesn't exist. It, they just can't just pummel their way into the phone. So they've gone back to Apple and say, could you just do me a favor and unlock this for me, please? Or give us a means to unlock it. Or give us a means to unlock, unlock it. That's right. And Apple's like, well, no, we're not going to do that because we want to protect the civil liberties of iPhone 5, 6, 6S, 6S Plus owners. Which iPhone do you have? I have a 6S. I have a 6S Plus. So that's the framing. I mean, that's, that's really what's at play here. And I think to argue, well, you know, we have the right to privacy and we leave my phone alone and don't touch it, I think oversimplifies it because there are certain criteria. You know, there is a set of facts that can surround something where you should be able to get into someone's stuff. Wait a minute. I can, I can get really strong encryption programs and start going end-to-end on everything, make it really hard for people to get into my stuff. You can. Like mathematically almost impossible. Maybe there, there are like, you know, it, it could be like a 50-year thing or it could be yeah. huge amount of resources to unlock what yeah. I've got. But I think eventually that's going to be against the law. You think that, you think that the law – America will outlaw strong cryptography where it's impossible to get in and look at the, the source material. They're going to insist on a backdoor. Well, yes, I do think so. Do you uh, think they could win that? I mean, it doesn't seem like it's possible. Software doesn't work that way. I know. I mean, that's that's the that's the rub, right? I mean, that's impossible. Also, you know, hiding your drugs and your money in some vault offshore is also makes it pretty impossible to get to. You can do a lot of things to skirt 
being found out, right? So do you think it'll will be people illegal? do that? Well, I don't know if it'll be illegal. I mean, look, ultimately, we as a as a society probably want it to be illegal because we have to be able to give a second set of keys to a government that is responsible for our safety. Do you? Be, I don't buy that. I don't buy it at all. I, I feel it's just this endless slippery slope. You never get done. Do you not? Want, you want to eliminate search warrants for homes? No, I don't want to do that. And it's, I, there's totally reasons to, uh, for for public safety that people could go in. Okay, but it's just it's information on a phone. It's going to be encrypted. How are you going to put that back in the box? I think you're you confusing make, the argument. But you can't make a door that can't get battered down. I don't. Think, I think you're confusing the argument. I think. Look, fundamentally here, do you trust the government? No. To take care of your safety. Okay, if you can't get past step one, then the encryption power part of it and the free speech part of it and all that other stuff is nonsense. How do we keep another J. Edgar Hoover from popping back up into the FBI? Um, having mechanisms that, that sort of balance things out. Uh, I, mean, I mean, once you get it, once it's in the zone of culture, once it's human beings making decisions as to whether to apply the back then door. Then why do you, why, how can you tr- ever trust the search warrant? Uh, under your argument, you shouldn't trust any search warrant. I know, but this is total. This gets into everything. Search warrants Holmes? are awesome. Mm, yeah, but this is Holmes. I'm going to destroy. You know, when they get a search warrant, they can destroy the house. They do destroy the sure, house. Sure, absolutely. Statistically, how often do search warrants get executed? How often? Like it's not. It's not every day, every moment. If I want to hack into your phone every day and I have a back door to do it, I can't. Okay, so you know what you're getting at here. You know what you're getting at. We balance a lot out for society to function we 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 accept that to have safety right we have to cede in certain circumstances and based on certain criteria some privacy and we have to we have to trust that there are mechanisms that are going to police when that privacy can be intruded upon it's not a blank check sure i mean we assume that a a cop's going to check out our face when he walked by us on the beat and he's going to look no. at us and recognize. I'm like, of course, I get that. No, no, but like something. Let's go really deep in there, right? Like, let's go talk about surveillance, right? You can get a warrant to literally bug someone's phone and listen to their lives, right? Sure, I, I saw the wire. Exactly, I'm, I'm an expert. Now. Exactly. So, and we agree. We sort of accept that these mechanisms are necessary for law enforcement to function, right? Today, and the thing is, there is a baseline set of of requirements to get that level of intrusion. What happened four years ago is the phone system was essentially like a wing of the government for about 100 years, right? So they were able to capitalize on that. There's been a relationship between the United States government and the various varieties of phone systems since both of those things existed. You're hopping to technology because it's complicated. But really, there's something more fundamental broken. And what's fundamentally broken is that our trust in the government got busted like four years ago. I also think it just does with Snowden, you mean? With Snowden. So let me, just, let me just finish okay. the thought. Right. When, Snowden, when Snowden revealed what he revealed, right, what he showed was that it wasn't just that every, oh, they're listening to every phone, they're listening to every conversation, blah, blah, blah. What he showed was that those mechanisms that we trust, that police, that seeding of privacy, were completely ignored. And what we're, where we're at right now is it's like, relationship, I caught you red-handed, you cheated on me, I still love you, I need time, we need time to work it out. Is it's it been, the what, relationship three years? between the American citizen and the NSA? And the, the, the I think it's government. Effort. When you say FBI right. and NSA, and it's just these incredibly powerful arms of government, right? 
screwed up bad, real bad. And to the point where when we look at government now, we don't think about it. It's like, oh, you know what? Fortunately, they go to a third party, a judge, who's going to definitely really look out for our rights and make sure it's police. No. See, this is one of the things I react to because I think that everybody gets very technologically determined. That's right. right? So, so, but the FBI and the NSA, they all do too. They're like, hey, we could get into this phone. Therefore, we must. And there's no real discussion about that. And that's, that, that mentality led to the stuff that Snowden showed us. Like that, that's just like, hey, we can, we can listen to every phone call. We have to be able to trust that we can give the government a second set of keys. If we can't trust that, then the arms of government that protect us and that keep us safe pretty much are crippled. Socially, right? socially, it seems like literally no one left or right particularly trusts the government with a second set of keys. Well, we're, we're still burned. We're still burned. I, I, we're, it still stings. It's how been how a few would years. it gain that trust where we'd go, hey, I think any, just, any phone you need to get into – you can get into. No, I don't think that's that's not the criteria. The criteria is I have the tools to get in and I have to go through these steps to gain the right to do it. But when the minute you do that, isn't China knocking at the same door that you just built in? Uh, let's worry about ourselves first. All right. All right, but this is the thing, you open up the it's a Pandora's box. You everybody. I suddenly. don't know. This is an American company. Okay. Right, based here. Wow. Are the American. The, Can you really call Apple an American company? Sure, they were founded in America. Most of their products are built in China. Most of their money's in Ireland. Yeah, that's right. No, put that aside for a sec. The system that we have here, which is the best system in the world, it's flawed, but it's the it's the best in the world. Needs to be running on a certain level of there. There needs to be mechanisms that are based ultimately. Ultimately, they are based on trust. And that's what, what stings here. That's what really burns here. China, I mean, it's dirty to the core, right? Like it's just understood that human rights and all the issues that, that exist in many, many countries. Sure. Um, it's just the case. But here we have to be able to build on that foundation. If we can't build on that foundation, something more fundamental is broken. Getting into encryption and phone lines and blah, 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 it's, it's kind of – that just that just confuses the discussion. I don't see anything that's happening now is going to change that, right? So now we've, we're in a situation where no one trusts the government. Everyone has phones. Apple's saying stop, and the FBI is saying go. I I, I don't think no one trusts the government. If okay. they, I think they did a poll, and it turned out that most people want Apple to give. They're thinking in an isolated case of terrorists' sure. phones, but they want them to open them up for the FBI. I do think there can be – I think there are going to be laws. I think there are going to be mechanisms around those laws which are going to have checks and balances so that an agency can't just dip into your pocket. Just as there are checks and balances to pretty much do anything that's intrusive on privacy and personal rights. Uh, that's, that exists today and it's going to be needed here. What Apple doesn't want to get involved is like, I, don't make us hold the key. Go make your laws and then we'll give you the key. And FBI, when you need, when you have, when you, when the judge says you can go into someone's phone, then you go do it. I mean, Apple's just worried about its its, no, its that's reputation. True. If, if a law that. was passed saying that this had to be there and that no telecommunications device can be sold without yeah. these capacities, yeah. Apple would almost definitely comply. It would comply. It ha- would have to comply legally. Yeah. No, it, and and here's the thing. I mean, it's, it exists in the interest of its stockholders. They're not going to support it taking a no no taking this bold stance. That's right. And you know, does Apple trust the American government to give it that second set of keys and trust that the system that gets put in place is going to take care of things? 
does it. Now, does it trust, you can run down the list of countries it's selling iPhones in, but can we at least trust the structure and the mechanisms and the protections that can get put in place to protect privacy, but at the same time, ensure safety? I think they're going to dig their heels in. I don't think they will. I don't think, I don't think enough people do in the industry in particular, especially after the NSA revelations. I think they'll dig their heels in until the law is passed, and then everyone will just shrug and, and be like, okay, here's your back door. Yeah. I think this is going to play out. Um, I don't think there is a conclusion. I think this is part of life now until there's some legal resolution. What do you think is going to happen? I think there's going to be a Band-Aid in the near term. There are going to be some decisions probably out of courts in the near term. But I think ultimately, I think this is too important. I think Congress is going to get in on this. And I think there are going to be laws. And I think once there are laws, I mean, I think Apple even said, I think either Cook or somebody from Apple said, look, if Congress gets involved, then... Our hands are up. Right. Uh, Apple is a law-abiding corporation. It, it kind of reveals its hand, doesn't yeah. it? Right. Which is, Congress is not exactly pristine in its in its motives and and intent, right? But it's shown but tremendous it's, under, understanding of technology over the years. So, that'd be great. <laughs> right. But you know what it does? It, it really it it washes Apple's oh, hands. The Mitch McConnell backdoor bill or whatever nightmare. It'll be a cool yeah. name. We should oh. think about that back. I was, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, mail those in if anybody's listening to this and you have good ideas for what the horrible piece of legislation will be called. Remember, yeah. we've got the Patriot Act. We've got yeah. all of these. We yeah. have the Clipper Chip. I don't even know. It doesn't need to be called a backdoor. That's problematic no, to No, it won't be with. called that. We call it the like <laughs> defending our children from terrorist technology infiltration. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be a night. It's going to have an acronym. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be great. Maybe the word eagle will be in it. Eagle chip or something like that. <laughs> All right. Well, look, that that's where we are. We kind of didn't end up in any obvious place because there is no answer to this situation. Yeah, it'll take some time. It's going to take out. some time. It's going to have to play out through through the um, through the courts, which is great because everyone has tremendous patience for the legislative process. Yeah. Especially right Everybody now. Everybody works together. So oh, it's, it's we'll bang great. this out. It's a good time for it too, I feel. <laughs> I feel that in America, this is a great time for this issue to come up and, and to just be speedily Perfect. Resolved. So yeah, yeah. by next week, we'll have some answers. <laughs> we'll give an update. Let's move on. There's another good thing to talk about today, which is like a week or two, two ago, this guy, you ever heard of a man named Steven Sanofsky? I have. Yeah. So this was, this was a big Microsoft dude, right? Yep. What did he do? I think he flew the Windows ship for a, a while. Yeah. I mean, very this, successfully. This guy was the company in a way. Like yeah. you had like Balmer and you had, uh, you know, Bill Gates. And this is one of the people who would be in the room with them. Yeah, for sure. So he got Windows out. He um, he left. He left, and now he's he's in the the rich guy's wilderness, which is I think he's a and, Andreessen Horowitz is what that's called. Right. He's at a venture capital firm, and he yeah I, he's probably got some title like extraordinarily powerful in, person in in residence. residence. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like guy who's in between enormous companies in residence. So. <laughs> Uh, he wrote a big thing on Medium, which, God, there's a, there's a killer of an open. Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, it's like 40 million words. But here's the thing. Uh, it's about product and about change. It's about building things on the internet and putting them out in the world and how people push back. Let me throw something out. I think that Steven Sanofsky is one of the most influential people in culture because he shipped windows. And I think he changed the world. Well, I, I don't know the history of Sanofsky in detail. I think my understanding is that he took uh, Longhorn 
which was kind of a mess. All right, we got to just tell. We can't expect people to know what that is. Yeah, true. Longhorn was going to be the new Windows, like right. for, for about seven or eight thousand years. Yeah, and it it got out of hand. They it, kept they pretty they kept much adding, went off the rolls. They added everything rails, to yeah. it. Where was it? Was like, they were around like Windows ninety five, and they had Windows NT go, and all that stuff was working pretty well. And then yep. they're like, we got to get it right this time. And then everything – it was all glossy and weird and it went 3D and – It's classic second system syndrome, right? Yeah. Like they just – they were going to do it right and it just – they added everything to it and it was slow and it was a dog. Yeah. And that's how you – I think you ended up – the end end game on that was like Vista. It was Vista. Which you'd get that Windows laptop with Vista and it would cost like $700 and it would, would work beautifully for about two and a half hours. Yeah. And it would and overheat. Then, then that first just... patch would come down the pike. Yeah. And then all bets are off. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, so he came in and he, he pretty much streamlined it. And Windows 7, I think, is his sort of big badge for his time there. So, you know, to me, change the world. Uh Windows 7. <laughs> I don't know if I equate Windows 7 with changing the world. I guess but... what I would say, I don't say change the world in like the kind of Gandhi-ish way, but change the world in here's an individual who made decisions that honestly put that thing kind of back on rails. He, that's absolutely true. And, and really, who knows which way Windows was going at that point? Like the fact that we forget about it. Everybody talks about Apple all the time because it, yep. it just everything went mobile and they're yep. very, very powerful. But you can't mess with the overall cultural influence of Windows. Like it's just enormous. It's no everywhere. doubt about and, it. You know, it's the platform that everything shipped on forever. Yeah, and I think you're right. He did put it back on rails. So he wrote this piece on Medium, Medium.com. I should uh, let people know I'm a Medium advisor, and also that we publish on Medium. So Medium, Medium, Medium. The piece by Stephen Sanofsky is called "Why the Heck Can't We Change Our Product." It opens with a quote from Jay-Z, I drove by the fork in the road and went straight. So I think that um, that's a problem there. That, but let's move on. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. We're probably going to end up meeting this guy and have to explain why. You know, just like, hey. This guy being Jay-Z or Steve No, we're never going to have to meet Jay-Z. Oh, okay. There's no situation where you have like, – we might end up being in a room with Sanofsky, but I can't see a situation where we'd be in a room with Jay-Z. Uh, a Tinder. Is it Tinder? The music – Oh platform. no, title. Tinder's really different. That's the one where you have uh the you the swipe left side. and right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, I confused the two. Title. But we could if you could mix the two together, can you imagine the power? Just swiping and getting a Sw- song and a date. That'd be amazing. No, like you know, these people like this these songs. Like just a purely music preference based swipe driven listening app. I think you're onto something. I think this is great. I think IAC should call me right now. Uh-huh. And uh we could be the next yeah. the next what's it called? Uh, Spot Ender. Tindify. We'll figure out the name later. Swipe IAC. To- oh, we God. are post light. You know, <laughs> we you know what stuff. it is. You know what it is, actually. And it, we create a new interaction. It's called Swipe to Play, trademark. Oh, bingo. S- swipe to Play. Patent. And it's also lo- not just play music. Okay. It's Swipe to Play. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean,. This, no, I'm just enjoying – I'm enjoying your – you were horrified. <laughs> no. <laughs> horrified. It was great. All right. Continue. Sanofsky quote. You know what, Rich? What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a Sanofsky quote and then let's talk about it. Sounds great. Pretty much why we're all here. Yes. Changing something that people have an emotional connection to is difficult. An emotional connection creates expectations or even norms – And the natural human reaction is to defend the status quo and maintain control. The discussions of change rapidly deteriorate to preference, taste, or argument by analogy or assertion, all of which are very difficult to counter when compared to facts, 
stopwatches or physics. The first thing I want to say actually about this is like that is that to me is archetypal Microsoft mentality. Like, yeah, he, he didn't go, you know, people really push back when you change something, but actually got it all the way to physics in one paragraph. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, this is this is a classic challenge with a product and he probably had the mother of all products that people got used to. I mean, that's the right? thing this guy had. That's why I find this piece fascinating is that it's all about how to deal with that. But he yeah. was at a – you're talking a half billion users yeah. who are all going to be disappointed. I mean, you know what this is? This is Microsoft deciding to take out Solitaire in the next version of Windows. Literally, statistically, more people will die in retirement homes more quickly if they did that. It's true. It's a brutal decision. It's a brutal decision. Everything they do is brutal. Like we're going to change the start bar and then like – and you're going to get a letter from someone who's like the only way my child can communicate is by using the start menu. That's right. Right. So you're, those are the kind of consequences or you put the ribbon into Microsoft Word and you're like you – know, and you realize yep. that what you're doing is wrong and that it's wrong for everyone and yep. that you've, everything's going to be really bad for everyone forever. Right. But you do it anyway. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's two sources of time. I mean, one is you know these tools become such a part of our lives, right? And they become we become really good at even the bad parts of it. Like we just sort of get to know it. It's like that that weird uncle that shows up for the holidays. He's just weird, and he's going to say strange things. And he's going to make you uncomfortable, but he's your uncle. He makes you laugh. He comes every year. Whatever. He's your uncle. Right. Or there's the guy whose job is to back up the server every night on a tape. Yeah. Right. And he's been doing it for 14 years and he could be replaced by a 12 line script. That's right. And right. and so when you dismantle those sorts of things, it's 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 a pretty delicate thing. And then you have the pressure of a business to just do the next thing, right? It's the new car model. Like a car company's never going to say, "You know what? This is ridiculous. We'll come out with a new car model every 5 years." So Rich, you know, he tells a story in this that I hesitate to call it interesting, but it's interesting to you and me. Which is what this is all. This podcast I mean, is about you and me. I worry about it. I worry about the sort of things that we find fascinating and yeah. the, the tolerance of our listeners. But let's do it anyway. Go. Um, so Sanofsky tells this story. And I, I think this is really the reason to read this piece. In the 1990s, Sanofsky is a, a product manager at Microsoft. He's working on Office. And they have this um, – it's a consumer product. You go to the store or you order it. Sure. And you get a CD-ROM or, and you put it into your computer mm-hmm. out in, you know, in a box and so on. So that's a consumer product, but what they wanted to do is transition it to like a, an enterprise environment. They wanted yep. because what was going on is that you know I don't know who who knows General Electric would buy thirty thousand seat licenses, sure, and they didn't have ways to manage those installations. So a good example would be you know do you get Clippy or the little dog to to be your little virtual assistant, or does all the clip art come over on every hard drive installation? Right. Things like that. So those are the problems so you want to solve. A way to distribute it across a big organization quickly. So Microsoft went in and they uh, and, and what they decided to do is like, all right, let's build a management tool to make it easy for people to do these installations, to make it enterprising. Uh, and what the way they had been doing it was like this completely garbage format, like all these crazy commas and one little file and you'd run it and it would kind of install and you'd customize. Um, and so it's a sort of deep, dark, arcane knowledge that only existed at Microsoft, except when they went out, they found that all these people had learned that format and were doing all their custom installations of Microsoft Office all the way across the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And when they showed up with this really new, easy way to do it, which they assumed would be well-received. Revolt. Total revolt because sure. what happened is the people who had been heroes were now just like literally reduced to – Figure something else out to do. Yeah. Here's a yeah, piece of software. Go get a new skill. Yeah. Sure. 
it, I mean, it's kind of the history of technology in a in a way, right? Well, you, I think you, that that's why it's like it's such a good story because you're just battling with that in little yeah. ways and big ways all the time. I mean, think about what you're defining for that person. It's not just, hey, Jim, can you help me with this thing? And Jim is feeling good because he's the expert. Right. He has this deep, profound knowledge of how to do these weird th- sort of corner of the of the world stuff that nobody else knows. And you're going to eliminate that. And you know what, you know how important this is for Jim? This is not just he, he gets to keep his job and, and make good money. It's, it's his own self perception. His own self worth is sort of defined here in a way. I don't think and if then you, you if, show up with a, with a, with a wizard that's just going to make him obsolete. And for people who don't know, a wizard is not an actual wizardly person, no. but actually one of those little like point and click and solve the problem. That's a wizard. Yeah. So that's pretty devastating. And what the rub here is that Jim is often the decision maker as to whether he's going to let that new tool in. Right. And what happens is they dig in and they, they protect their territory. And I've seen it happen. They protect that territory because it is going to uh, disarm them and make them much less relevant, much less powerful in an organization. I think you got to remember too, like they're not self-aware. Like they're not, he's not sitting there going, oh, I don't want to give up my job. It's more psychologically complex. He's it going probably like, is. He's, he's going, they've replaced this with a wizard and it, it, yeah. it looks really easy. But the truth is we have a much more complicated yeah. installation product. I've seen it with the web a million times. I've, I've been in meetings where people go, that'll take three months and someone else goes, that'll take three minutes. Yeah. And, and they're both right. That's right. In the early 2000s, I led a team that built a, one of the first, one of the earliest web-based applications to insure your home. Okay. You could go in, fill out some fields, and we didn't go all the way to credit card. This is like 2000, okay. 2001. But we took care of a lot of the entries, and what happened, you'd get a call back, and they'd finalize the transaction. There were about 20 or so call center people who, before I showed up, were just taking those calls. They would advertise a phone number, and that's how you insured your home. And all of a sudden, I show up with a team of like five, right? And what are you, like 28? I'm 29. Yeah, you're literally everybody's worst nightmare. Yeah. You're old enough to actually yeah. have a little power, but you're also just kind of like, I'm going to do it my way. And I shipped this tool in 12 months. And I would run into, you know, someone that's in their 40s, 50s in the kitchen. And I was just Satan walking the earth. I was the biggest pain in the ass that they could ever have dealt with because all and i was excited i was like isn't this great look at these efficiencies i've had that experience a couple times you know i I would be like oh this thing that i'm building for you is going to be so cool correct and then i couldn't realize i couldn't figure out why everybody hated me yeah exactly and I, i was threatening an order that was so subtle and also just such garbage you know i was younger and i was like the work that they were doing you're a 29 year old programmer yeah and manager and you're looking at what they're doing and you're just like completely dismissive of it at some level. Even if you were respectful right. of them, that's you were right. like, well, that's stupid. And this is someone that's been doing this for 20 years. You're right, right. Like, I mean, we in those roles, you're not even sensitive to it. You're just like, I, I see a better way in a more correct way. Correct. And you actually just lack the – that's why I think so often it's young people who build these companies. Yeah. And it's not just because they can see it differently, but because they actually have almost no ability to perceive the incredibly delicate – social order that is allowing people to have health insurance. <laughs> exactly. And so they just run through like garbagey tornadoes and blow That's the trailer right. park to shreds. I'll, I'll tell you, I, 
thinking back, there was a retirement cake in the kitchen at like 2.30, one of the days. Sweet older gentleman. He was probably early 60s, late 50s. And made a toast. Everyone was in the kitchen. And jokingly said, and I also want to thank Rich for destroying my job. Yeah. As a joke. Yeah. And, and I was like, hey, Jim, you're a riot. Aren't you the funny one? And I don't think he was being too funny. No, he, he wasn't being funny. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like we work in an industry that the whole point of the industry is to automate and optimize existing processes. I mean, we don't talk about it in ethical terms. We talk about it in terms of money and fun and, and progress. Exci- yeah, and, and it, innovation it, and yeah, exactly. And I think you see where you see that actually explode is when. Uh, Facebook goes to India and then they're shocked that people are like, hey, wait a minute. We, like, yeah. we, we've we actually had really rich white people show up here before. Yeah. We're not necessarily – we think maybe we'll do our own IT infrastructure. Yeah. Like, you see these missteps where um, they just can't believe that somebody wouldn't want what they're selling because we're in a world where all we oh, hear right. – From we the hear, perspective of the creator. Oh, my God. We're like, of course. Isn't this great? Don't well, you want this? And there's actually a whole giant trillion-dollar industry telling us how great it is all the time. That's right. And you got Microsoft sending you, you know, in the 90s, sending you like developer kits. Yeah. And every one of those was an opportunity to completely ream some other industry and blow up a ton of jobs. Of course. I mean, that's that's how it goes. (sighs) You know, so there's two questions I have for you as I'm thinking about this. One is, what do you do? Do you just go ahead and kill the jobs? What do you do? Do you just go ahead? You know, you frame it that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, sorry. Sorry to put you tricky. on the. <laughs> but we're all on this yes. hot seat. I mean, that's. I, I, my goal is to build software that will make people lose their homes. That's my. That's actually professionally what I aim to but do. But see, no, it's tricky though because <laughs> I actually I will take almost any job that we build a lot of content systems, and yes. so actually, what's weird for us as a technology company, a lot of times the technologists are a little annoyed that we show up because we're from the outside. True. But we're real advocates for the like sort of the people using the software, the editors and the writers. And That's right. like I've I've done probably four or five jobs building systems and helping set up new publications where I know for a fact that I generated jobs for writers and generated jobs for people who normally like those jobs weren't there before I built the system. Yeah. So there is a way to actually be to be mindful of what you're doing and, and make it productive well, that way. That is the long game, right? I mean the truth is if you look at the advances of the last 30 years, jobs have been created, in fact. Right. More jobs have been created. The economy's grown. Uh, we've expanded. Uh, We're going to get comments on this. But yeah, yeah absolutely. But, so the long game, like unfortunately that guy standing in that kitchen retiring isn't thinking, well, you know what? This was a hit. But, you know, long term, jobs will be created. Yeah, literally. <laughs> no one He's is, not thinking that. No right? one is like, hey, you know, I did my – I was a pawn on the chessboard. Right. But it was, good to, on. It was good to play. Right. Yeah. But you know what? We're talking about it in a pretty pretty um, self-centered sort of way. I mean this is the story of the world, right? I mean there was a day when being the, the train conductor was just the shit, right? Like yeah. You were, that was the job to have. Or the guy – I forget his, what they call him – who changes the cards at the terminal – to tell you what times the trains are coming, the master, uh, train master. Right. Let's call him the train wizard. Train wizard, <laughs> whatever. Like, jobs get eliminated. That's what's been happening for the last 22,000 years. That's just how it goes. I like, goes the, I like your voice change, right? You know! But that's true. I mean, it's true. 
All right. So, you know, Rich, I'm looking at the clock and um, we're going to have to leave this Stephen Sanofsky essay alone. It really is worth reading because a lot of writing about product is very impassioned, but not written by the world's most powerful product makers. Yes. And it's interesting to see like how systematic and sort of like he considers an enormous number of permutations in this. And Mm. so it can be a little dry, but you also see – Okay, this is how many aspects of product development a person I mean, at wants. that scale. There are only probably a handful of people who have ever dealt with something that impacts that many people and manage teams that large, thousands of people. Sure, probably tens of thousands. Yep, that's right. Working on incredibly abstract stuff globally, right? Yep. So holding that, keep spinning those plates in your brain is hard, and it's interesting to me. There, that's an artifact produced by someone who can spin those plates. That's really interesting. Yep. So that's worth checking out. So just check out posts. Dot postlight.com. You'll For always lights. find everything yeah. you need. That brings us to our Q&A. Okay. Because here we are talking about content management systems and creating jobs. And uh, we have a very interesting question from a woman named Elizabeth who wants to know about how much of the web she needs to understand. Here it is. I'm foolishly going to start an online magazine. I have good markup skills and minimal coding skills. I have a lot of experience working with big company systems, and I can find my way around any CMS easily, but I'm pretty fuzzy on all the in-betweens to get my content and code onto the web. I know I can just use WordPress or something or rely on a website building company like Squarespace, but I'm interested in learning how my content shows up on the web from start to finish without some prepackaged pipeline. Is that a silly thing to try to figure out in 2016? It's not 1996. Is it a good use of your time to learn how the back end works and do it by hand while you're trying to publish content? That's a hashtag content. A little wink and nod there in the question. And while you have so many other web duties around that content, notably various social media presences, something that was not part of the equation in 1996. So somebody who wants to go really, really deep on content, what would we tell them? I would tell them not to code. I, I have to say it pains me because I want people yeah. to understand how this works, but I agree with you. I think that it's just there's so much to do when you publish online today that trying to do it from scratch yeah. is a team project now. It's not one person can't really do it anymore. Yeah, and also I think I'd ask, I'd bounce a question back, which is, you know, what do you want to be great at? Do you want to be great at, how, you know, your magazine uh, and your content or do you want to be great at – being a coder who can put stuff out on the web and proficient at all the bits and pieces inside. Today, if you, you can't be both. Uh, and if you're thinking about all that great content and the voice and all the stuff that comes around, you know, that, that, that's required for a great magazine, you just don't have time to go and, and dig in and, and actually you know, do the bits underneath. What you could do is build a hobby content management system. I mean, you could take a couple weeks and just do the sure. best you could. You can do anything you want on your yeah. free time. I mean, she, I mean, Elizabeth, we can't control her life. She can do whatever she wants. It's true. But as far as this goes, if you want to make a great magazine, you don't want to spend five and a half months, you know, really dissecting the bits and pieces of what a good, you know, content platform looks like for you. It's I, I think it's... It's tricky for people to realize how much they get for free when they stumble onto the internet today. Yeah. Like, I need to publish pages. Well, you should probably just use WordPress, and it'll cost you less than a dollar a month if you find a certain plan. Right. Like, a, the the cost to produce and deliver content is basically zero or approaching zero. The tools to upload all kinds of rich media and do all that stuff are 
widely available. So you have to ask yourself why. If you if it's for an intellectual exercise, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But anyone who would come to us today and say, I want to build a new CMS, they need to really know why they're doing it. Exactly. Why would you? What would be a reason to build your own content management tools top to bottom? Well, just generally, humans, it's pretty disheartening when you've got that amazing vision of how the world should work and you, you, you've boiled it down to some ideas. To tell someone, don't bother, is sort of like death in a, in a sad little way. It's true. So they really want to bother. They want to bother, right? And they have, they, you know, they've been, I've been doing this for 12 years and I, I know exactly what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've outlined it here and it's time. I get a it's lot of those. It's time to I, fix the CMS. I get a lot of those in email. They, they come at like two in the morning. Yeah. And like 36 paragraphs long. <laughs> exactly. About how we fix this. Exactly. Exactly. And then in the end, they're like, could your company do this for right. free, for equity? <laughs> For equity, exactly, exactly. I mean, I you know, I think for Elizabeth, she wants to – probably the most meaningful thing for her to do would be to read the source code to something like WordPress. Yeah. Like, if, she, if she wants to go that deep, why not? I yeah, mean, that's – out there. It's I mean, it's, it's, it's iconic at this point. WordPress is out there to get beaten up at this point yeah. as, a, as a platform. I mean, but you can – it's open source. You go to WordPress.com or WordPress.org, sure. download the whole thing and, and actually do the anatomy before you go and build your own. Right. You know, use that as the reference implementation. There's, you can't really go and look under the hood at Squarespace and, or, or Medium in right. the same way. But but again, it depends on what you know what her motivations are and what what she wants to focus on. I mean, I'm trying to think when people would want to build their own. I think if you wanted to do I don't know something weird with video where people could cut video up and add comments to clips, things like that. Like that's when you might start thinking about building your own top to bottom. The, then it, then you're, you're yeah you've you've ventured out into territory that somebody hasn't covered just yet. Right. Usually that's a pretty complex place to go, that it's not trivial to – like messing with video is not trivial, for example. Anything that involves paying people for content also takes some time and energy to get right. Sure. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And that's just sure. sort of like it's practice, it's craft. Yeah. But yeah, that when you're messing with new kinds of – when you're when you want to do something new with media, when you want to – cut things up, put them back, or run things in parallel. Like I'm, I'm going to do automatic transcriptions of podcasts and we're going to have all the podcasts together and you're going to be able to search them in new ways. Right. That's when you go and build. Yeah. But Thinking back on her question and how, where you're going, mm-hmm. you're going your, your inclination as a technologist and a thinker is to go to the deep end of the pool. Mm-hmm. And I think if she heard you suggesting these things, she'd probably say, where are you going? I'm just talking about... Should Headlines, I do my own stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think I don't want to speak for her, uh, but I, I think that's what she's uh, asking about. And and in that case, don't build it. But you know, you know what you want to learn in that case is as much of the HTML standard as possible. Yeah, I, I guess maybe just like all the video, all the tags, all I mean, that let's, stuff. Let's say, for example, Elizabeth's friends are just uh, you know she knows she's got an end with all the comedians. Okay. All the up and coming comedians in New York. Happy, good, That's cool people. Cool, fun people, church going people. Yeah. Um, and she's like, you know, I want to use this. You know, they're offering up her, you know, their their stuff, and and I want to, I want to put it in a place. Who the hell cares about HTML code? Like, it doesn't matter. You know, Squarespace. The value of Squarespace isn't the value of Squarespace is, is that it lets her focus on her friends who are the comedians and not the HTML code as you know, we grew up in a world where Squarespace wasn't around and 
we we feel like it's it's almost it's an invader of sorts for us and for her who gives it you know who cares it's she just wants to get her comedian friends online and if that takes off it is not going to be because of squarespace's admin interface it's going to be because of her comedian friends right what about what about e-commerce well e-commerce is interesting because it was later right you know, it really wasn't. There's actually this is very nerdy, but the the initial specification for the web has um, like error code 402, and most people know what a 404 is. That's when it comes back and says like yeah. the web page is not available. 402 was payment required, right? And it's built into the spec, but there nobody was able to figure out how to do it. Right. It's one of those things I think a lot about, which is like if you'd had that, would you have had like eBay and Amazon, or would people have been able to build their own yeah. sales tools if that had been actually built into the web? No, no, probably say. not. No, yeah. I mean, uh, when you say, when I said later, I wasn't talking about a spec. Yeah, I know. I, I was talking about point and click Shopify, which even though it makes you feel dirty, is going to let. Why you sell does Shopify your stuff. make you feel dirty? It doesn't it, make me feel because dirty. Because Shopify, it's green. It's got that weird green. It's got that weird green. It's too much. The green. thing about Squarespace is what is up with the ifis and the greens? Because because Spotify also has that same green. Is there like an ifi? You know. Anyway, I don't want to get us distracted with, with color choices because that's we could do that all day. Well, but Shopify. Yeah. Why do you hate Shopify? I don't hate it. Why? I don't hate it. Really? I don't know. It's 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 Because I just, I just watched off. another sponsorship opportunity go out go out the window. True. Yeah. True. I don't I don't hate it. I don't think I said I hated it. Yeah, but you had a look in your eyes like Well, I said I felt dirty by Shopify. by using it. No, I know. It's just it's kind of it's a little gross. Why I mean, why is it gross? Um have you ever bought anything on Shopify? I probably have. I probably didn't know. You wouldn't know it. I probably wouldn't know. If let me put it this way, if, if I wanted to sell my stuff on Shopify, I would probably go through extreme lengths to eliminate the Shopify aesthetic and put in my clean lines and like I think it, it you know like I used gloss. to do. I've done like fifteen years on and off e-commerce and it's always a disaster they always think that they've solved the catalog problem or the purchasing problem and then it's you just can't ship something to canada it's never going to be possible right and then you have to put in like your own custom yahoo stores was the one oh my god right. i burned a lot of hours on yahoo yeah. stores so it sounds like elizabeth should just go ahead and use squarespace wordpress whatever fits she should go shopping for a solution and if she's curious how it works she could Pick something apart. Read a couple books. Yeah, if if Elizabeth's content is really lousy, I would suggest she learn how to code and become a junior front end person. So you made an assumption there by saying that, which is focus on your content. But she might not be able to make a living on that. So it depends. After two years of really no visitors at her site, which she used Squarespace for, she may decide, you know what. I'm going to go. Or should she buy some traffic from Outbrain or Taboola? Oh. You could. You can always buy friends on the modern internet. You can. You can. Um, Elizabeth, don't do that. Thanks for your question, Elizabeth. If anyone else has any questions, please, please email. Questions at. Questions at postlight.com. Well, Rich, we've come to the end of the podcast. It was good to be here with you. I get to spend about 14, 15 hours a day with you. So this yeah. was another one. Yeah, where yeah. we're wholly focused on one another. Yeah, it's good. Just, I'm literally <laughs> looking into your eyes right now. They're a nice shade of brown. 
Thank you. Yeah, no, it's I never really even kind. thought about that before. You're are you in blue gray? Very blue gray. Yes, yeah. steel sort of slate. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Very yeah. very beautiful yeah. actually. Thank you for listening to Track Changes. You can listen to us and subscribe on iTunes, of course, and leave us a glowing review, if you wouldn't mind. You can also find us on all the regular places like SoundCloud and on postlight.com, P-O-S-T-L-I-G-H-T.com, which is the agency in New York City that creates websites and apps that brings you track changes. Rich, thank you. Paul, always a pleasure. See you soon. Love. All around. Okay, now we're going to go back to the office together. It's awkward.